0: Our people are traumatized. There are thousands of blue tarps on homes. In Puerto Rico, Mm -hmm. two years after Mm -hmm. Hurricane Maria. And
1: today we have houses that are falling apart because of the tremors that are hitting our island. The trembling is happening all the time. Mm -hmm. Puerto Rico sits between two fault lines. We have families that are sleeping outside. We have kids and
0: children without water or a school to go to. The central government does not have
1: the capacity to be able to deal with this type of situation. It was the governor that admitted there is no emergency plan for earthquakes. This is where stateside we have to exercise our social
0: capital, our political capital, and our conscience. It is no time to just watch the news. It is no time to just say I will pray for my family or I hope that they are okay. Today, we must do something, and it is
2: time for action. Hi, everyone. That was Cristina Pasiones Zayas and Jesse Fuentes, co-chairs of the Puerto Rican Agenda, at a press conference announcing the reactivation of the Chicago Puerto Rican Agenda's three R's campaign for earthquake relief. Since December 28, 2019, Close to 1,300 earthquakes have hit Puerto Rico, with the largest being a 6.4 magnitude quake. In response, Chicago's Puerto Rican agenda has reactivated their 3Rs campaign to rescue, bring relief, and rebuild the hardest-hit parts of La Isla. Learn more about and or donate what you can to the 3Rs campaign at puertoricanchicago.org. Again, that's puertoricanchicago.org.
3: Bienvenido. Ahora está escuchando el Paseo Podcast, donde sacamos las historias de, por y para la comunidad puertorriqueña.
4: ¡Qué bonita
2: Bienvenidos a todos, you are listening to the Paseo Podcast, where we highlight stories by, from, and about the Puerto Rican community. My name is Joshua Smeisa de León, and I want to thank you for downloading this episode. If you are listening to this on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or anywhere else, podcasts or stream, give this podcast a like and subscribe to it. It makes a world of difference. We started this podcast as a way to bring attention to the diverse and vibrant stories that make up the Puerto Rican communities here in Paseo Boricua in Chicago and around the world. From La Isla to the Diaspora, we hope you enjoy what you hear. It's an election-themed episode of the Paseo Podcast today, so we invited a number of guests running for local office here in Illinois. We're going to start the show with a conversation I had with State Senator Iris Martinez. We are going to discuss her entry into politics and her campaign to become the clerk of the Cook County Circuit Court. After that interview, I sit down with Cook County Circuit Court judge candidates, Judge Teresa Molina. Laura Ayala Gonzalez and Araceli Reyes de la Cruz to discuss their races, representation in the judicial system, and a whole lot more. But before we get into that, I want to talk about the coronavirus. In just a few days, it has been declared a global pandemic by the World Health Organization. President Donald Trump instituted travel restrictions to Europe. The NBA suspended the rest of its season. Presidential candidates have postponed events, employees are working from home, schools and offices are closing. The stock market has fallen, late-night shows are being taped without their live studio audiences, and even Tom Hanks and his wife tested positive for the virus. With all this coronavirus news coming out seemingly hourly, I can't help but think about what it's like on La Isla. So here's what I know. Puerto Rico's Public Affairs Secretary Osvaldo Soto says there are 15 to 16 suspected cases of coronavirus in PR. It's being reported that there is a lot of anger due to the federal government taking so long to get results for their patients and the public. For context, as of this recording, in the United States, roughly 11,000 coronavirus tests total have been conducted. That's compared to South Korea, which conducts 10,000 tests a day. This might be a long and painful ride for us moving forward until this virus can get under control. So make sure to avoid large gatherings, work from home if you can, wash your hands for 20 seconds with warm water and soap, don't touch your nose, eyes, and mouth, and sneeze and cough into your arm. You can also use a tissue too, but make sure to throw that away ASAP and wash your hands directly afterward. Until then, stay healthy, my friends, because the consequences of you contracting the virus may not be dire to you, but that doesn't mean we shouldn't look out for one another. If not for yourself, then for your abuelo, your abuela, your parents, and anyone else out there with a vulnerable immune system. I'll try to share more coronavirus news in regards to Puerto Rico moving forward as new details emerge. For now, let's jump into my interview with state senator and candidate for clerk of the Cook County Circuit Court, Iris Martinez. We are recording here in the Puerto Rican Cultural Center located on Paseo Boricua in Chicago, Illinois. I have a very special guest with me, State Senator Iris Martinez. Iris, welcome to the Paseo Podcast. How are you today? Well, I'm
0: very happy to be here. Thank you for the invitation and I love being here at Paseo Boricua.
2: What should our listeners know about you if they never heard the name Iris Martinez?
0: Born and raised right here in Humboldt Park. Very proud of that. Went to Roberto Clemente High School. Have been a State Senator now for 18 years. I'm Assistant Majority Leader and I I am taking on the challenge of running for Clerk of the Circuit Court and that's what I'm here to talk to you a little bit about, but more important is the fact that my heart, my soul is right here in Paseo Rico and Humble Park, even though I represent an area a little bit north of here. My district basically starts from about, it's really Albany Park, um, that community, all of Albany Park Avondale, mm-hmm. a little bit of Belmont Cragen, a little bit of Hermosa, but the main heart of my district is 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 Albany Park in Avondale.
2: So when you were elected, 2003, that marked the first time a Hispanic woman had ever been elected to State Senate Illinois history. In
0: 2000, right. When I went out of campaign, I never thought I was gonna win. It was mm-hmm. uh, you know, people normally go to the House of Representatives first. Miguel De Valle, who at that time was a senator, mm-hmm. he was the one that mentored me. I was actually I was I was a, a lobbyist for the city of Chicago. I worked for mm-hmm. the city of Chicago for 18 years. My job the last two years of, of working for the city was to go out to Springfield and and bring the legislations that the city of Chicago needed. And Miguel de Valle was I was I was I was uh, told I need to work with the with the with the senators mm-hmm. and then uh because there was like three there's three we had like three lobbyists, two will work the house and one will work the Senate. I mm-hmm. I, I was chosen to to work with the Senate. Wow. That's how I got to know Miguel Libat even more. Mm-hmm. And we worked on many different bills together. And for the first time, Miguel actually was now finally beginning to work with Mayor Daley at the time. And there was a lot mm-hmm. of controversy between the two. And Miguel said, mm-hmm. I think for the first time, I was, I think we'll have mm-hmm. a little bit more working relationship with the mayor. A
2: couple other things I do want to add to that okay. too. Illinois Legislative Latino Caucus co-chair. I was at one time no, one, no, time, one time. no, no. One time. right. At okay. one time I was. Assistant Majority Leader at in I 2018. Am, started. I
0: am. I am again.
2: 2013 majority caucus whip.
0: That was back then. Yes. My and I, moved, gosh. I moved up to uh, from whip. I went to majority leader.
2: <laughs> and then chair of the special committee on state and pension fund investments.
0: Been there for 18 years doing that work.
2: My yes. gosh, how do you find time to do all this?
0: Well, you know what. Uh, uh, I have a lot of energy, yeah. and I think uh, um, the fact that you know when you enjoy what you do, you mm-hmm. find the time. And th- this is all part of what you do as a senator. The different committees that you want, like one of the committees that I sit on, that's very important is education. Mm-hmm. You know, when you talk about education, the money's coming back to our schools. That's a committee to be on. Mm-hmm. The, the the committee on utilities, making sure that the you know that the rates when they're, asking to ask, when they're asking for these rate hikes. I wanna make sure that what this rate has to mean to the people in our community, in the mm-hmm. poor communities, in the black and brown communities, which are normally the communities that suffer the most on any kind of rate increase. So sitting on a committee like that is very important. I also sit in the committee on commerce trying to find ways to make sure that we put community development to our communities, you know, all kind of commerce and economic development, because we need it in our communities, especially in the black and brown communities, where we have a lack of, of that. And you see the you see the products when we have so much violence on the streets, when you see so much things going out in the neighborhoods that are not productive, we need to start, you know, being on that committee gives me and it gives us like, thoughts on how we can, develop more, uh, you know, bring back more commerce and economic development to our communities.
2: So take us back a little bit further. So let's go pre-2003. You mentioned some of your work before being elected as state senator. Can you walk us through uh, more of that moment, that aha moment where you said, okay, I think elected office is something for me? What made you want to what made you want to run to begin with?
0: You know what? My father um, back then, my father was a precinct captain, and I'm mm-hmm. talking when, when I was a young little girl. I was a pre- my father was a kind of a precinct captain. My father worked in the in the, in the Humboldt Park area, mm-hmm. but. Back then, though, you know, our many of our parents back then were involved in the politics, you know, somewhere, somehow they were involved in the politics. And my father, you know, would take me around with him here and there. And I really did like it. And so when by the age of 17 or 18, I was already interested in, in, in doing work in community based organizations. So I went for a non for profit. I worked for a company, I mean, for an agency called. Allies for Better Community, and that was back when Hector Franco, Jose Salgado, there were so many you know, legendar- legends for mm-hmm. us that really, at least for me, watching them, the kind of work, really made me capture my interest in doing something in the community, and I stayed working in a non for profit for a while until then. You know, I got married, left mm-hmm. the neighborhood, and then um, I came back to the neighborhood, and then that's when I went to go for the city of Chicago. When I went to go for the city of Chicago in, in 2000, uh, in 19, no, I think it was, I was working for the city for 18 years. So I went to work in the 1990s. I went for the work to the city of Chicago, wow. and there in the 18 years, I started in the mayor room. Listen to this, I, went, I started in the mayor room, mail and room. I okay. rose in the 18 years to become assistant to the mayor. From the mayor room to being assistant to the mayor. I mean, that was what something. Yeah, the,
4: yeah, and then
0: and that and those two years, the so final two years in my is when they had me go down to Springfield and that's where I started learning the whole, you know, the what what, what was Springfield, what was the impact that Springfield had back in our communities. And mm-hmm. thank you for someone like Miguel del Valle. They taught me about you know Springfield and what the and some of the work that we were doing as 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 uh, as uh, as, uh, as lobbyists and bringing those legislations. I mean those those uh, uh issues to the to the Senate and then Miguel working on bills and then watching the bills. You know making sure that I was there to testify. So I got to learn a lot from Miguel until one day in two thousand, Miguel De Valle calls me and says, "You know there's going to be a new uh, redistricting." There's gonna be an open seat mm-hmm. in the, in that area where you live, and I said, well, where? And that time I lived in Logan Square, mm-hmm. so there was an influx of Latinos that had moved into the Logan Square area mm-hmm. in 2000. They saw that, so there was a there was a, there was a seat. Lisa Madigan, she used to be a Madigan. They did away with mm-hmm. that seat, and because Latinos had moved from that area into Logan Square and you know and and further west, that created. You know, a new district with a, with a senate, a, an open senate seat and an open uh, state rep seat. So the first thing people says, well, go to the state rep, because usually when you go to state rep, you know, you, f- you become a state rep first, then you go to the senate. Mm-hmm. Miguel de Valle, when he come, he goes, you can come to to the senate. I go, no, 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 Miguel, and, I went, and him and I went back and forth, mm-hmm. and him trying to convince me that I needed that I was that I, that I needed to run and be that first Latina to step up to the plate. Mm-hmm. It was very scary because as a single mother, I had a mortgage. How do I leave my job to go campaign? There was no one at home that can take, you know, then help me through this because I was a single mom raising my daughter on my own with a mortgage and everything else. So I really, Miguel says, there's a way of working around that, Iris. We can make this work. And I said, well, you know, I don't want to lose my job because, you know, when you go out to run for the Senate at the first, you know, crack, you're like, your chances of you getting elected mm-hmm. you know are really hard because you're going to the senate as opposed to a state rep it's a smaller right. district it's you know it's, it's, it's a so hundred thousand people as opposed to two hundred thousand plus people mm-hmm. so you know i mean guess it's, iris i'm gonna i'm gonna help you and i kept saying he goes but he told me one thing that was very that always stood with me he Goes, they're going to make you an offer you won't refuse They probably say don't get into this race mm-hmm. we can find you a better job you know because already the politics of behind the scene the Old Boys Network were already planning, and it wasn't going to be for a woman. It was going to be for a man. Mm-hmm. And so when Miguel told me, they're going to offer you the world if they can. And I know that as a single mom, sometimes you might think that a job that can pay better, even though I said, you know, I'm getting paid good where I'm at. So it's not like I'm looking for anything. And besides, if you really believe that I can do this, let me go talk to the mayor and assure myself that if I, that if, if I lose this race, that I have my job back. because to me it was job security was important. Because you know my, my insurance, my daughter, everything you know, my mortgage, everything was important to me. And I, as the only breadwinner, I needed to ensure that. And you know, three months. You know, the mayor. When I went to the mayor, I said, "Mr. Mayor, I need three months. You know, of 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 a leave of absence." I want to know that I can get my job back if, you know, if I lose. And he goes, and the manager said to me, you know, Iris, win or lose, you got a job. I love the work you do. Go out there, give it the best, and I think that you're going to win this, and it's going to bring, and he said, he goes, bring me and Miguel together. And I said, okay, I think I can do this. And <laughs> yeah. I went out, and I little did I know that on every door that I knocked and a woman opened that door, that was my voter mm-hmm. because those mm-hmm. women identify right away with me. Mm. You know, affordable daycare affordable housing safety uh, you know a, a, a safe neighborhood health care these were all issues that I as a single mom went through yeah. and you know and I was able to speak on it like an expert because I know what I experienced and that's exactly what that woman that opened that door couldn't relate to me. Ah, so and the
2: relatability it, led to electability. And
0: yep, and the fact that it was the first time a Latino woman was running for the seat. You'd be surprised how many women. Said, oh, can I join your campaign? Oh, can I join your campaign? You know, and because it was historic. Yeah. And 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 exactly when I went to start looking for the support of some of my male Latino electeds for you know, mm-hmm. hey, I'm running for this. I can I count on your support? It was a complete no from everyone. Really? It's not your turn. Mm. You know, don't get into this race. You're going to have a lot of problems, mm-hmm. you know, to the point where I even got threatened, get out of this race, mm-hmm. you know, if you know what's good for you. That's wow. the kind of stuff that I heard from my own Latinos. And yet for mm-hmm. me, you know, a girl from Humboldt Park, you don't threaten her like that because mm-hmm. guess what? The more you kept, they kept telling me that, the more I said, you know what? The, now, the more it gave me this, I'm yeah. going to run this race and I'm going to win this race. And the more they told me no... That you know, it was not your turn. To, you know, get away from this race. Mm-hmm. We got somebody else in mind. It's a male. You know, your turn will come. I said, you know what? That was more for me that I ever needed to hear. And here I am. You know, I never thought I would win. But guess what? I I surrounded myself with women. They helped me raise money. The first I had hundred women. They each gave me a hundred dollars, and I was able to afford my campaign office for the next three months. That was That's like, awesome. and they went mm-hmm. out there. They collected my signatures. We did everything. It was a race. It was a, a race run by women. It was a, a campaign run by women. Mm. And I think it was a great pride. And the day that I won that race and the day that I took my oath, I took that oath not only for me but for all the women, mm-hmm. you know, especially in, in my district that they didn't ever think that it was possible. Yeah. So when I raised my hand that day to say, you know, I, Iris Martinez and the women of the 20th District, mm. you know, that we all took an oath together. And that to me was very important because it did open up, you know, I mean, it broke the glass ceiling, the first Latina ever elected. I'm happy to say that today we finally have two other Latinas, Hmm. you know, so it's great to see that our numbers are growing and a possible third will be coming at the end of this uh, election cycle. So I'm very excited about that.
2: A mentality that I I have trouble wrapping my mind around when someone says it's not your turn, you know, I I don't understand why that is what. People in oppressed communities are told, whether you're a woman, a part of the LGBTQIA plus community, black, Latinx, it's always, it's not your turn. It's not your turn. Wait, wait, wait. And, you know, at a certain point, you get tired of waiting. When is my turn? Who dictates that? So, like, being able to, you know, push forward... My biggest big
0: when they told me, um, you know, get out of this race if you know what's good for you. Mm-hmm. You know what my answer was? What? See you at the finish line. I haven't looked back. It was it's been eighteen years, going on nineteen now, yeah. and it's been a great. I mean, it's been a great eighteen years. Mm-hmm. Yes, you know, I there has been times during the my my eighteen years that I had uh, one one I can I can recall that in two thousand eight, I had uh, all the all the men came after me, mm-hmm. you know, and they really you know launched a nasty and ugly campaign. Mm-hmm. And it was my own state rep, a male state rep, mm-hmm. that decided to, they convinced him that he, that, you know, that, you know, he can beat me, mm-hmm. you know, and they, they came after me and we taught them a lesson. Mm-hmm. You know, we taught them a lesson. Once again, a lot of the women came together mm-hmm. and said, we're not going to let this happen. All because why? Because you got an assistant majority leadership a leadership seat that the president of the Senate thought that he that you earn and that you earned it and that you deserve to be there. And, and, the, and, and because it wasn't my turn yet. Mm-hmm. Again, another, mm-hmm. another, uh, it wasn't your turn. It's not yeah, your time, right. you know what I mean? Even though the president of the Senate says, yes it is, like you'll you be a good leader. And, we make it, and when Miguel the Valle left, Miguel recommended, he goes, mm-hmm. she speaks Spanish, she'll be, a good, she'll be a good representative from the president's office. The senator is a good person to put as a major leader. The president said, that's who I want. That's who I want, but I remember that I fought against it because I didn't want to cause any controversy. You know, I don't want to. I don't want to be involved in controversy mm-hmm. with my colleagues. Mm-hmm. You know, on this whole issue. And but the president was very clear. He said, "I am not going to get the seat to anybody but you. And if you don't want it, it'll stay vacant." Mm-hmm. You wow. know, and that was a and that was an mm-hmm. assistant majority leader. And when the president did, that, I said, "You know what? No, no, no." The night before our inauguration, that I had gotten reelected. Um, Uh, He says to me, "He says to me, um, Senator, um, you, you, you don't want the spot. It's going to stay. Tomorrow's inauguration. I will be more than happy." I go, "You know what, Mr. President? No, I don't want the seat. The worst thing that happened. Maybe, maybe the best thing that happened is that I had a white lobbyist walk into my office and threaten me and my job and my livelihood." So how do you That's the worst that you can do right. to So no, no, a absolutely. girl from the hood. <laughs> no, absolutely,
2: absolutely. And I, I want to hear more about that. Like so you mentioned the good old boy club, wait your turn, um, threats for other Latinas listening, other women listening. How do you navigate that very toxic environment?
0: You know what? You grow a thick skin. Yeah. Because at first you can go into a room and cry it out and yeah. I if that's to get my anger, mm-hmm. out, sometimes you have to go into a room and yell cry and then and then feel like okay, mm. now look out, because now I'm coming angry. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And, I come, and, and, and for me, when that person threatened me, the first thing I said, I go, you, a sitting lobbyist, is going to come threaten a sitting senator? There are some words that I chose not to say on the podcast, <laughs> but I kind of told them to exit my office in a very nice way. Sure, sure. And then I went upstairs. With yeah. tears in my eyes, I went upstairs and Mr. President, is that offer still on? Mm. He goes, yes, it is. He goes, it's, I go, then I'll take it. But guess not, no, no. That I'm gonna have, I know I'm gonna have a race on my hand. Sure enough, there was a nasty race on my hand. Mm-hmm. They made me spend over five hundred thousand dollars that I had a fundraise for to try to at least retain my seat. But let me tell you something, it was I could not believe the response of the people in the district. Mm-hmm. It was just phenomenally. I mean, it was overwhelmingly. People were just one hundred percent in my corner, mm-hmm. and and it was two men. And listen to this: it was you know the white guy, the mm-hmm. white man, and then they also put a Latino, a Puerto Rican another Puerto Rican male to stifle my votes, my Latino votes, so the non-Latino can win. Wow. Guess what? The, both of their votes combined couldn't even come close to the amount that I had in my district, you know what I mean? Mm. For being a three-man race, I won that election by over almost 70% of the vote. It just tells you wow. what people in my district were about. So again, you know, uh, people respond when they, you know, and, and being that first woman, you know, first and only Latina woman elected, I think that that was a pride in our communities, mm. you know, to say, especially among women, and saying, it's not going to be that easy. You just, we don't elect her and think that son. Because men are angry at her, we're gonna let her down, and you know I, I gotta tell you they were very. I I am blessed to have some very strong women in my district that really said, you know, enough of this type of behavior, and they came out and we and we won that election overwhelmingly, and I think after that. And it's funny because we're all friends now. We all right, get yeah. along, you know, and mm-hmm. as a matter of fact, the young gentleman, the gentleman that ran uh, against me is now running my operations for my clerk's race. It just shows you. It just oh, shows you. Oh, kind of
2: like a team arrivals yeah. uh, <laughs> environment you got going on. Okay, cool. I, think they've, yeah, I sure. think they've
0: given up in fighting with me. Yeah, sure. Yeah,
2: they learned their lesson. <laughs> they learned uh, their lesson. Uh, so, <laughs> so let's shift gears to the next challenge, the this next new election. One. This new one. So we got election day coming up in a few days, March 17th, Tuesday. Mark your calendars, everybody, if you haven't voted yet, early Voting is open, so find your local polling place. Uh, so you are running for Cook County Clerk,
0: Clerk of the Circuit Court. It is uh, Dorothy Brown's old seat. Uh, mm-hmm. She thought, she chose not to run again. It mm-hmm. uh, finally, in twenty years, it gives an opportunity for an office that right now, you know, when you look at the office and the real the the what the office is about, that is the front line for you entering the judicial system. You go to that. You're either looking for you know uh, paperwork. You're looking for child support. Mm-hmm. You're looking for order of protection. You might be looking for an adoption. You might be, there's, there's so many, so many different aspects that that office has, that people have to, you know, access that office. Mm-hmm. The problem is that office has been under a cloud for the past 20 years. Mm-hmm. That office is right now reaping with patronism. There's, there's, there is There's. Mm-hmm. cronyism going on. there. There is like. there's a mismanagement. There has, there's a lack of real leadership all this time. So right now we have an office where every people walk away says they lost, I've been there three different times they've lost my paperwork for my child support. One lady walked away, I couldn't get my order of protection. I mean, yet it's unacceptable and the worst part about it is that I've spoken to so many different county entities like People from the public defender's office, people from the chief justice office, people from the sheriff's office, from the state attorney's office, telling me all the same thing, that there is a disconnect between all of them that feed into the clerk's office. There's no connection. The, the clerk's office is like a silo mm-hmm. by itself. Mm-hmm. You know, that the leader there just did not care about what this office really was supposed to be doing. And right now we have people sitting in jail waiting on lost paperwork, missing paperwork. Mm-hmm. We have a warehouse right now that was built some years ago, $24 million yep. to just house boxes of paperwork. Mm-hmm. And again, how much of those paperworks right now has our black and brown people sitting in jail because it right. has not been digitized? The, when you look at the electronic system they have there, has been a failure after failure. Mm-hmm. They have a system there that they spent a whole lot of money that they still can't get right. Mm. You, you hear the, the, you know, the stories about people that pay for the jobs that they have today. But you have a workforce of about 1,400 people that right now uh, are their teamsters, and they are people that just were, you know, have been sitting there who have not been given any more training in the last. Who knows when their last training was? My my idea of going into this office is really cleaning it up in so many different aspects, and that is first thing and first first thing is first is making sure that we get rid of all those at will employees that right now, you know, have not done anything to really bring this. This office into the 21st century. Mm-hmm. When you talk about the mismanagement, why is that? Electronics in today's world, with this world is so full of so much technology. Why do we keep getting it wrong? We have to start connecting. But I, one thing that I did hear from some of the other entities, all everybody has their own IT. Mm-hmm. How can we have everybody their own IT that doesn't feed back to the to the main to the main system? Yeah. So again, it's a matter of sitting everybody down, calling for an audit of mm-hmm. this place mm-hmm. from the very beginning and start addressing these issues when it comes to where are the dollars, where are the deficiencies at, that we can actually move move this around and reinvest back in the workforce that's there. Right. And when you talk about right now, one of the biggest things that I hear that really makes me cringe is that there are courtrooms that cannot even open up because there are no clerks. How is that possible? Right. That right now people will not have their day in court because we can't have a clerk to open up a courtroom? Mm-hmm there's so i've heard so much and i'm so happy because it really made me feel like you know what there's a problem here i want to tackle it i want to go in there because i am about good government i'm about open and transparent government and right now that office lacks transparency it lacks professionalism you know based on the fact that we don't have training that's taken place Mm -hmm. so to me is you're going to have to really clean house to some degree not touching people that you can't because you cannot touch your union workers. I wouldn't mm. want to touch my union workers. Mm. I wouldn't want to touch my shackmen, the Cree workers that are in there. However, there's a lot of people at will. I want to know who these people at will are that have been there all these years. And what have you contributed? Yeah. Obviously, not to make this far better because the office is still very mismanaged. I have saw some salaries that are, that are ridiculous salaries that should be you know, money back to our, our, our workforce development that we need to make sure that we implement in that office. And, you know, and retraining for everyone and, you know, and being able to talk to these workers. They know the job. They just have not had a good leader to keep guiding them and trying to, you know, move them into the 21st century with new equipment, new, uh, you know, new ideas, new thoughts. Mm-hmm. That's not happening there. And that's 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 my mission. That's my mission to go there and do that work.
2: I feel like the County Clerk of the Circuit Court uh, is... A, a role that not many people are familiar with. And when you take a name like Dorothy Brown, who is, You know, it's one of those names that, unfortunately, Chicago voters, we tend to just vote off of name recognition as opposed to really understanding what goes into a lot of these roles Mm -hmm. and these offices Mm -hmm. and and how many people they impact, that work impacts. And I don't know that enough people realize that our court system, the the clerk's office, not only handles criminal cases, but it handles civic cases as well. So we're talking about evictions, divorces, wills, things with Adoptions, traffic, adoptions, domestic
0: yeah, violence. every domestic violence prob, yeah, of order that. protection, yes, yes. everything, and everything. We
2: and we I believe in Cook County we have the largest unified court system in the United States if not the world.
0: We have the according to what we're hearing is was second largest. The okay. second largest um, really court system is is right here in Illinois. Wow. And you know, and when you look at the Cook uh, you look at the at the county of Cook, you know, we have, you know, as you know, and and this and this to me is a number that we have to keep in mind. We got 1.3 million Latinos living just alone in Cook County. Mm-hmm. And when you look at that office, it doesn't reflect us, mm. unfortunately. You know what I mean? We have, right now, there's there's a lot of vacancies there that have not been filled. And I, to me, is we have to start have creating a workforce that looks like the state of Illinois. Yeah. We have to have everyone that we cut can possibly, because this is who we are. We have people exiting that office that not only just look, just look like you and me, mm-hmm. there's other ethnicities that are out there, and that office has to reflect, you know, those those individuals that we represent. And to me, it's important that we have a real good mix. One of the things that I've said this over and over, people say that when they go there, the first thing that the clerk, uh, one of the front workers say, I'm sorry, I cannot give you any legal advice, you know, I can't give you, any answers. Mm-hmm. Well, why not? The, the people took the time to go there because they have a problem and they have to walk away because we don't have any legal service or they can't provide any legal service, then guess what? We got to put more legal folks in front there so people don't have to go hire lawyers that they cannot afford. And that's one of our biggest problems in our system. We have too many black and brown folks that cannot afford lawyers. Mm -hmm. We should have people there available at least to get them started and sending them the right way. They might just need simple paperwork to be filled out correctly to get them on their, you know, on their way. Or a legal, you know, answer to a question that Somebody can answer. But if we have legal folks standing there answering those questions, guess what? We're going to have a much better work, a mm-hmm. ex- much better experience as people walk away are going to say, God, I feel better. They took care of me. You mm-hmm. know what I mean? Which could mean child support, which could mean order protection. It could mean anything that really was troubling to that person who right. walked in there for a solution mm-hmm. and to actually walk away and say, I've been there several times and they still can't. We with everything that we pay online. How is that we cannot pay our court fees and fines online? Mm-hmm. How is that possible? We can pay the, the 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 fines, but we can't pay the court costs. Why not? Everything else is packed. Our phones are like our you know our key to every yeah, little aspect. That we don't have to even leave our home right, if right. we don't have to. Mm-hmm. So how is that we the people have to take time off work to go pay court costs?
2: Right. No. And we're talking millions of dollars I that guess. goes into this on a yearly basis. On a yearly basis. So looking at the race we got four candidates running for this same position, including yourself. Mm-hmm. What sets you apart from the other three contenders in the race?
0: I'm the only woman. There's three men. Um, I think my 18 years of experience, the other three are lawyers. Mm-hmm. And, you know, they've thrown that, you know, out at me. Oh, this office should be run by an attorney. And the first thing I have to answer, the office was run, was run by an attorney for 20 years. Right. That didn't help. So you mm-hmm. know what? What this office needs, is a good administrator. A good administrator that can really connect and really uh have a office where now we are we have partners. We're not an office that's a silo by itself. We are not mm-hmm. an entity that should be by ourselves. We need to make sure that we bring in everyone and really have a real workforce development training and 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 have these conversations because they are the ones that can tell us what's wrong or right. The individuals that access that office are telling us like the lawyers and and, and saying, oh, You don't even know what I go through. Well, guess what? I want to talk to you to tell me exactly what you're going through so we can start addressing the problem. Too many people have walked away. I need those folks to come back and tell me, I want to work with people who have accessed that office and have walked away, discussed it. We have to find the root of the problem, you know, and bring in new, uh, transform that office into what is supposed to be, you know, a taxpayer's office that is to solve your problems when it comes to our system, our judicial system. And we have to be ready to make sure that it's done right in the entrance, and that point of entry has to be right. You get it wrong there, guess what? You might sit in jail for a while. You might not get your adoption papers taken care of. You might not get your child support. There's too many things at stake in people's lives for us to be saying, oh, the office has a problem. No, that problem, that office needs to resolve its problem so we can start taking care of the residents of Cook County.
2: Do you have any advice for anybody that? wants to run for office in the future? Any Latinas listening or people of color listening that want to to run for elected office in the city of Chicago or just in, in the United States in well, general? I
0: always say that anybody that wants to really run for public office, they need to, they need to step up to the plate. Mm-hmm. I think it's important. But know that when you're stepping up to the plate, what if you got... yourself what is that you bring to the table some people think i'm gonna run just because i want to run there's got to be a purpose if you are a person that's very that you're a strong advocate that you care about what's going on in your community that you care about legislation that affects people's lives you you if you care about the quality of life of your community Mm -hmm. then you know what then you have the proper ingredients to want to run there are people that run, you know, just because they want to run, because they want to be an elected official. You know, let mm-hmm. me tell you something. Being a, to me, I people saying, "Oh, how does it feel to be elected official?" I go, "You know what? This is just a job. I'm, I am a, I'm the same person I was when I was elected, even before. I'm the same person. This is a job that the people in the area gave me to go and be their voice, mm-hmm. be their voice for every." situation that we right now as a community go through let it be a housing let it be you know let it be you know uh um, uh jobs let it be at, you know better schools these are all things that if you care about these things then you know what then you have the ingredient of being a good uh, a good elected official a good, a good a good candidate i want to encourage there's got to be more people that look like us mm-hmm. latinos we don't have enough latinos you know in in in, in it look when Miguel Divaya was there, it took 20 years after Miguel got there to elect the first Latina. How is that possible? Right. But I've seen in the past five years, two more Latinos came on, mm-hmm. and a third one is coming. So there'll be, by the time it's over, you know, if i because I'm going to look for another Latina woman to replace me, that's for sure. Mm-hmm. There'll be four Latinas. But we're talking about that I first got elected in 2000. Here we are in 2020. Right. You know, and finally, we're going to have three women. So again, you know, I, I, I really encourage... I, I encourage uh, anyone that wants to run, step up, because we do need people that care. What I've seen, and I have nothing against lawyers, I have nothing against lawyers, but I do feel that more and more, the people that are, are that are running for public office are very well financed, you know, or they're mm-hmm. attorneys. You know, and I and I have to say, where's the balance that we need of people from the neighborhood who might not be lawyers, because maybe, I, I want to be a lawyer, but my mother was never able to afford something to law school, mm-hmm. you know what I mean? But right. here I am a lawmaker, which, I think it's just as good yeah. as a lawyer, even better, you know what I mean? Because you really have an opportunity to work in the community with the mm-hmm. people while the attorneys work in the, in the courts and all that. To me, I, I really feel that we the more we have people from the neighborhoods that really want to run, the more we'll have that balance in Springfield, the way we'll have that balance because I find sometimes that, and I'm not saying that the lawyers do not have the pulse, sure. but if you're a lawyer from this neighborhood that grew up in this neighborhood, then you have the pulse of this neighborhood. Mm-hmm. You know what you went through. You know what your parents went through. Right. And you know that as a child growing up, and you know probably you probably got, went to law school based on, on, on scholarships, on loans, just like everyone else. But you know, but mm-hmm. but you're from the hood. You're from the neighborhood. And, you know, and I and I encourage people from their neighborhoods to step it up because we need more. We need more young professionals to look at elected offices because right now we have to have a balance in this in in in, 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 in Springfield or in any city. Council, wherever mm-hmm. you, wherever we have it, we have to bring more Latinos and start balancing because we are the fastest growing population. We need to have our community leaders, Latino leaders, on the rise and start filling these positions because you know what? We 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 as as a growing population We have the right to have our leaders that look like us and that that will fight our fight so i encourage i encourage i encourage it i encourage people who want to run please do it because it is important so you can keep our communities growing and and for us to have a voice at the table at all times, let it be in Springfield, let it be in City Council, let it be in the County Commission. Wherever it may be, we have to have Latinos there to protect and to watch what's going on for us.
2: I think it was Shirley Chisholm that said, if you don't have a seat at the table, bring a folding chair. Bring a folding so, chair and open yeah, it up. So, That's what yeah. I say. I got a folding right. chair in the car. Someone yeah. says you can't do it, bring that folding chair out. Absolutely. For sure. If you're not registered to vote, you can vote. On Election Day. On Election Day. You can get places. registered
0: to vote on Election Day and vote at the same time.
2: A couple forms of ID. You'll be good to go. You'll be good to go. So to just a reminder, Election Day, Democratic primary, a local elections, Tuesday, March 17th. It's a few days from now. If you don't got time on Tuesday, maybe you're working at an hourly gig, you can't get out, early voting is open now. You can find your local polling place at chicagoelections.org.
0: And that's until and that's until Monday. Until Monday is uh, you know early voting. And hopefully, between now and then, people that cannot, and you never know, if you can get out and vote early, let's do it, mm-hmm. because you never know what can happen in election day. Sometimes we always wonder about bad weather. Uh, you know, things can happen on that particular that doesn't get you to the poll- polling place. Right now, the opportunity is there. People can never say, oh, I didn't get a chance to vote. You had chances, you've had chances. You know, we have to yeah. just really exercise our right to that important component that should make a difference in our lives and participate in the electoral process. Mm-hmm.
2: All right. Illinois State Senator Iris Martinez. Thank you thank so much for being on the thank podcast. Thank you, Joshua. Yeah. <laughs> thank you. We're going to hit a quick break, but don't go anywhere because when we come back, we're going to talk to Cook County Circuit Court judge candidates Judge Teresa Molina, Laura Ayala Gonzalez, and Araceli Reyes de la Cruz. We want to take this moment to say thank you again for listening. When you download our podcast or subscribe to the podcast itself, that makes a world of difference. So gracias for taking your time to listen to us. We also want to take this time to thank the sponsor of today's episode. This episode would not be possible without the generous support of the Puerto Rican Cultural Center. The Puerto Rican Cultural Center, located at 2546 West Division Street, right here in Chicago, is a community-based, grassroots, educational, health, and cultural services organization founded on the principles of self-determination, self-actualization, and self-sufficiency that is all activist-oriented. For more information on the work they do, give them a visit at their website at prcc-chgo.org. Again, that's prcc-chgo.org. Now, if you or anyone else you know would like to be a sponsor of the Paseo Podcast, please email us at paseopod at gmail.com. That's P-A-S-E-O-P-O-D at gmail.com. Tell them Joshua from Humboldt Park sent you. Gracias por esperar. Our judicial system matters and who sits in the judge's chair can have a profound effect on how the law is carried out. So I invited three candidates running for Cook County Circuit Court Judge, Judge Teresa Molina, Laura Ayala Gonzalez, and Araceli Reyes de la Cruz, to sit down and talk about their races, representation in the judicial system, and a whole lot more. Let's head into the interview. I have three candidates for Cook County Circuit Court judge with me in the studio today. Araceli Reyes de la Cruz, Teresa Molina, and Laura Ayala Gonzalez. How are you all doing today?
4: Very good,
3: thank you. Thanks for having us. Thank you so much.
2: Very good. Um, Teresa, let's start with you. What should our listeners know about you?
3: Well, I'm Judge Teresa Molina. I am currently a judge in the uh, circuit court. I was appointed to the vacancy In July of 2019, I am the first Puerto Rican ever appointed to a countywide vacancy, and currently I'm running to keep my job that I love so much.
1: Araceli? Good evening. My name is Araceli Reyes de Cruz, and I've been a lawyer for about 20 years, and I am running to become a circuit court judge here in Cook County. I'm running in the roadie vacancy. Um, My parents are from Puerto Rico, Caguas and Trujillo Ato, and I'm born and raised in Chicago on the Northwest Side. Laura? Buenas noches. My name is Laura
4: Ayala Gonzalez, and I am running for the Ford vacancy, countywide, uh, for circuit court judge. Um, I have been attorney for nearly 18 years, and I have been in the Cook County State's Attorney's Office serving uh, victims of violent crime. I have done that throughout my career, and I am passionate about serving the public and giving back to our communities. I've had several leadership positions in the office. Currently, I'm a supervisor in the Cook County State's Attorney's Office in the felony trial division. So I'm asking for your support on March 17, uh, so vote for Laura Yala Gonzalez. Thank you.
2: Perfect. And then, so y'all are running for Cook County Circuit Court judge, but it's not the same seat. It's not the same position.
3: We're not running against each other. That's right, correct. You're not
2: running against each other. So, uh, Laura, let's start with you. Uh, why did you decide to run for Cook County Circuit Court judge?
4: I believe that now I am prepared. I have the experience needed, um, the qualifications, and the judgment, and not only... Do you have to have all those in combination with each other, but you also have to be ready to serve the public? And I believe that serving the public as a judge is the pinnacle of public service. In my whole career, I've been I've been doing just that, being a public servant, and I'm finally ready to tackle on the new challenges of serving everyone in our community and being a voice for our people and having our people see people like us, Latinos, Latinas, on the bench and being able to recognize that we understand the circumstances that everybody from our communities uh, come from and what they what the challenges really are, and also our Black communities as well. I think that we we need diversity, and that's. Really really evident um, in the current uh, state of uh, politics now.
2: Araceli?
1: I echo a lot of Laura's sentiments. Um I've wanted to be a judge since the beginning of my legal career. Um, before I was a lawyer, I was a victim witness advocate, and I would help folks navigate our criminal justice system. And I saw firsthand how important it was for folks who come to court to understand what's happening in court, uh, regardless of what side of a case that they're on. I carry that on with me as a state's attorney. I was a state's attorney for many years, about eight years. I tried a number of misdemeanor and felony cases myself. And then I went on to practice in a number of different areas um, for the state of Illinois, for the Chicago Transit Authority, and now as in-house counsel at Acero Schools. And so I'm aspiring to have a seat on the bench because I feel that I'm a very diverse practitioner and that I bring a lot of diverse legal perspectives as well as a diverse community perspective. Um, I serve on the board of Casa Central uh, here in the Humble Park community. I've been an executive board member for about eight years. Um, and I come from a very diverse family, a husband from the Philippines, um, and cousins and in-laws from many different countries. Representation of diversity is very much needed in our judicial system. And I represent not only diversity of legal practice, but also um, as a Latina, and as a member of a pretty multicultural community and family.
3: My situation is ever so slightly different in that I'm currently a judge. Um, Having been appointed to fill a vacancy, I now have to run in order to keep my job. So I have a job through December, but I need this election um, to be a victory so that I can continue working um, beyond that. But the reasons that I was interested in being a judge in general was I practiced for uh, over 18 years, and in all of those years I never once stepped up in front of a latina judge and so i think that's a sad thing however um in addition to that um to adding some diversity what i like to do is help people and i was able in my years of practice to see some judges that i thought did a really great job and were really great judges unfortunately i also saw some judges that weren't so great and that weren't good at helping people and i thought well i can help I can do a better job than that person, and I can help, and I can make a difference in the lives of many people, and that's still serving the community, which is what I've always done. I was a prosecutor for 15 years. I was the chief of real estate prosecutions with the Department of Financial and Professional Regulation, keeping bad real estate licensees out, you know, taking licenses from people that were doing basically things they shouldn't be doing with those licenses. So I've always been protecting vulnerable people. And I think that uh, as a judge, I continue to do that. And I love my job. And that's that's another reason. I mean, I, I wanted the job, but now that I'm in the job, I absolutely love it. I love going to work every day.
2: Right on. That is a good thing to have. It's nice to wake up and be happy to go to work. Right. Uh, not as many people are that fortunate to be in that situation. So, it's a blessing. Yes. Uh, so, okay. So Cook County Circuit Court judge. Can any of you explain for our listeners that don't exactly know what goes into that role, what is the role of a circuit court judge? What do they do?
3: Well, I could tell you what I do. I'm currently assigned to traffic court. Mm -hmm. Well, the first municipal district. And so that covers a lot of different areas. It covers all of traffic court at the Daly Center. And so I handle cases that are DUIs or driving under the influence. I handle speeding cases. I handle stop sign cases. I handle some of the cases that happen in the parks with specialty police, the fish in the water police. I've learned a lot, but we also cover different areas. I sometimes marry couples. I do marriage court. I have been in small claims before uh, handling civil cases. I've also done eviction cases so uh as a judge you you listen to evidence and decide if there's a trial you know who should prevail and who should win that trial based on the evidence and the law that's what i do on a daily basis but a lot of times you know you're kind of the middle person and people are trying to come to an agreement and you're going to say okay i agree with that or they've come to an agreement subject to my approval and if i go along with it then the person will plead guilty and everyone will leave Having agreed versus somebody winning and somebody losing, mm-hmm. um, but that, those are primarily my duties
4: on an everyday basis.
2: to add, add anything to that, Laura?
4: There are also various different levels of a circuit court judge, so. Judge Molina currently right now is in what we call the first assignment for a judge. Based on everybody's different experiences, that's kind of how you decide or it's decided for you how you travel along um, in your career as a judge. So for circuit court judges, you also have judges that deal with civil cases, as Judge Molina was talking about, and you also have judges that handle criminal cases. And that's where your experience, your trial experience becomes really handy. So for my specific background, I have a lot of jury experience and trial experience. And I think that that goes hand in hand with understanding what it takes to be able to make a ruling, a ruling that will affect the lives of many, many people. So I think that that's also very important for the public to know that judges handle every sort of case that comes in front of them, whether it's evictions, whether it's traffic, whether it's other civil proceedings and also criminal cases.
2: I believe Cook County court system is one of the largest, if not the largest, in the nation.
4: That is correct. Yeah, because
2: it handles criminal and civil cases. Yes. So it's a big undertaking. There's a lot of judges involved in this.
4: There's
1: very many judges. All
2: right, Araceli, did you want to add anything to that?
1: Um, Sure. I think I'll add kind of a slightly different perspective. Mm -hmm. Um, The role of a judge in a courtroom, a circuit court judge, is also one of an administrator. They are governing and managing their entire courtroom and so there are staff involved you know you have your court clerk uh, you have the sheriff and then you have the attorneys that are in the courtroom every day and so as a judge everyone is looking to you for direction and leadership in the courtroom on how to move the cases forward and to do so in an efficient manner you know our court systems are very inundated with lots of cases and good judges are efficient and good judges have a good command of their courtroom and and keep cases moving and make sure that everyone that comes to court is given their due time and is heard, but also does that in a way where they don't bog down the process and they're able to keep things moving. And, and that takes a certain skill set. So a good circuit judge is going to be able to, to manage their courtroom and run their courtroom effectively and efficiently.
2: Teresa, you mentioned being the first Puerto Rican appointed as a circuit court judge. And you mentioned going into courtrooms and not seeing a Latina Uh, sitting in the judge's chair. Uh, In your opinion, what representation is missing? When you look at all the judges in the Cook County Circuit Court, what representation is missing?
3: Well, I would say the easiest one to identify for me, obviously, as a Latina, would be the the lack of Latinos or Latinx, as we're now saying, supposedly. Mm -hmm. And that it can be demonstrated 25, 26%, I believe, of Cook County is uh, Latinos. And in the judiciary, I believe we only have 7 to 8% of judges currently are Latino judges. So our judiciary is not reflective of the community that it serves, and I think that's a problem. Um, I think another example of where it shows that we're lacking is there's different ways to become a judge. For example, we are all running for circuit court judges. Those positions are decided by the voters, unless you're appointed, but generally by the voters. Now there are associate judge positions. Those are lawyers who feel that they are uh, qualified to be judges and they apply to be a judge. And then the chief judge has a committee that puts together a list of all the applicants, 200 and something. And then if there are 15 spots to fill, they pick 30 of those 200 and those 30 go around for two weeks and solicit the, the votes of the circuit court judges. And so from those judges' votes, you get the new 15 judges. So the reason I bring this up is because when this happened last time, although there were qualified Latinos that were among the 30 that were selected, not one person of those 15 was Latino. So I think that we have a lack of Latinos. And this there were no Asians in that group either. So there's a lot of uh, groups that are lacking in the judiciary to, to be reflective of society as it is today and I think we each need to do our part to help bring awareness and and whatever changes we can make to that to make it better for everyone people should go into court and feel comfortable with who the judge is and believe that that's going to be a good judge whether they're black brown you know whatever they are it doesn't matter as long as they're qualified and that's what you want that's what we're working towards mm-hmm.
2: Araceli, Teresa mentioned this really good stat. I mean, it's not a good stat, but uh, it's helpful data. So Latinos make up about 26% of the population in Cook County. Only 7% of judges are Latino, Latina, Latinx. Um, In your opinion, why do you think there is such a lack of Latinx representation in the judge's seat? I
1: mean... I think one of the issues is what that Esther referred to um, with the associates. There's, opp- there's been opportunity for sitting judges um, to select qualified Latino judges and for an unknown reason, it just hasn't happened uh, to the extent that we would like to have seen it happen. Mm-hmm. Running countywide in a race like we are or even in a subcircuit is a huge undertaking. and it's a significant financial undertaking as well. And so when you know you are maybe, First in your family, first in your generation, to to seek this level of professionalism and and to have a, a you know a higher level degree, you know you're the first to be kind of earning at a certain point, and you don't have sometimes that family money or mm-hmm. those um, extra resources available to you to to help, and and you know you'll see a lot of folks that run for office, you know come from families where they're maybe not the first to to run for an office or they have a lot of um, financial or even political supports. And so when you're really out there as kind of a pioneer and like pushing boundaries, On your own, it's difficult, and it's intimidating, and it's hard to do. And when you don't have a lot of folks around you that you can identify with and that look like you and have gone through the same things, it becomes even that more more challenging. Mm -hmm. The beauty of running in this race are the two women sitting on each side of me. It is an amazing thing to sit here and to be on this journey with two other amazing Latina women. And it's the first time I've seen something like this, and, and it's rare. But this is common for some other folks. And and it's what makes it easier. And it's what's making this easier for me. I think that it's it's a huge undertaking. And fortunately, a lot of folks in our communities haven't felt comfortable enough to, to take that on.
2: Yeah, interesting points you brought up, Araceli. I start thinking of the struggles that just running for office, period, comes with uh, the obstacles that make up that journey from even just declaring that you're running to hopefully getting elected You're going, so a lot of times you're going against people that are born on third base and you're just trying to get to first. (laughs) So, looking at uh, your endorsements, I saw that the Cook County Democratic Party has endorsed all three of you. That's the first time the party has slated three Latinas at once. Yes, Yes, correct? Yes, that's correct. So, that's pretty historic. Yes. Uh, Laura, why do you think out of our entire history here in Cook County, and slating judges. Why do you think this is happening now?
4: You know, I think, uh, first I want to applaud the Democratic Party for putting together the most diverse slate uh, in history um, to this date. Um, I think they realize that they see the need um, that uh, the need for Latinx judges. I mean, there is really a need when we have um, such a disparity uh, with the population and the representation from the judiciary, it really it really makes it unfair, and it really um, does not resonate with what we are trying to achieve. And we're trying to achieve some sort of. Um, response from the public of trust in the judiciary. And so when you don't have people that look like you, making decisions um, for you, or even seeing people like you in higher positions, it really doesn't build that trust with them. And I think that that's really why we are now seeing history in the making, and hopefully we will all be successful in our campaigns here. But just to give you a little perspective, I'm first-generation Mexican-American. I'm the first in my family to be able to not only uh, obtain citizenship and have my mother obtain citizenship through me, but also I was the first one to go to high school, graduate, go to college, graduate, and go to law school and so forth. So for me, this is a dream that I've been working for for my entire career, my entire life, and my mom obviously instilling the values of education and hard work. I was one of those individuals that was on the associate list that uh, Judge Molina was just talking about where you were selected by merit and then you go and campaign and seek the support of other judges to hopefully vote for a Latino, Latina or Latinx as we're referring to our, our population. But I was one of those three individuals that were not selected. Now, mind you, as tough as that was, I'm very blessed and lucky to have been able to compete in such a hard process with over 200 applicants and be selected on what's called a short list. So I'm very content that I made it that far. But again, not having representation from that list on the judiciary really did hurt our Latino community, our Latino legal community, because what we achieve really makes others want to continue that path and hopefully get there sooner than what what we have made it here. So I'm hoping that the history that we are making now by having the party support three Latinas in this endeavor will continue and we will hopefully gain more
1: Latinos and Latinas for the next round. I, I, do, yeah, sorry, sure. I have something to add, just to, just to piggyback on what on what Laura said um, about this being history-making. I can't speak for them, but I will say for myself that there's kind of an added want in all of this. Of course, I want to win. Of course, I want to achieve my dreams. But I also want to, to win so that the other Latinas that I believe are waiting in the wings and kind of watching from the sidelines what's happening mm-hmm. will feel that much more inspired and motivated to then pursue this. To go back to your earlier question, like why— aren't that many Latinos kind of pursuing these types of roles or or elections. Mm -hmm. And I feel that there's kind of a a bit of a responsibility that I'm carrying with me throughout this campaign and throughout this election to deliver a victory so that it just kind of makes the path forward a little smoother Mm -hmm. for those that want to follow.
2: Yeah, no, I think that's a great mindset to have. The idea in any marginalized community of one of us makes it, achieves some type of uh, accolade success, Position the responsibility and the duty to make sure if you get through that door to leave that door open and extend that hand back and you know bring somebody along with you. Araceli, this this is for you. So you all have been endorsed by the Cook County Democratic Party. What goes into that? How does someone get endorsed by the party? What are the hoops you have to jump through?
1: Sure, it, it, it's a long and protracted process um, that for us took the course of several months over the summer um, and it starts with pre-slating and, and that's an opportunity open to everyone to go go before the 80 committeemen um, from Cook County and to present yourself as a candidate and explain to them why you feel you're a viable candidate, what your qualifications are, um, what type of support you, support you already bring to the table. Um, <clears throat> and then at the end of the summer, there's actual slating where you come back again and again, it's open to everyone, and you make that formal ask. What happens between pre-slating and actual slating at the end of the summer is the opportunity to meet with as many of those committee men as you possibly can. Um, some of them meet one-on-one. Some of them have you meet with members of their community, and um, and you're really trying to, uh, you're selling yourself as a candidate. You're explaining why you would be a positive addition to the bench or whatever seat that you're looking for or role you're looking for. Um, You're sharing with them your qualifications, your experience, and your credentials. You are earning their support, you are soliciting their support, you are giving them a reason to go back to their consist- constituents and their respective wards or townships and say, this is the type of candidate we want to get behind. And that process is open to anyone and everyone to come and seek that. Um, And so at the end of the summer, uh, when you go back for uh, the formal slating request where you're asking for their support and their endorsement, um, you know, the the committee men have come together and they've talked about the candidates. And I think I might have mentioned that in this particular cycle, there were over 40 or 45 candidates seeking the endorsement of the Democratic Party here in Cook County, of which 13 were selected. And we're three of those 13. Um, Once you've earned that support and that endorsement, um, there is an ask of a donation to the Cook County Democratic Party. And that donation goes towards uh, the get out the vote effort. Um, and so when you're now running 13 candidates um, as the party's candidates, um, there are mailers that have to happen, there's digital marketing that happens, and all of that costs money. Money that every single candidate, whether or not they're endorsed in the ra- by the party, is going to spend in their race. Um, um, they're going to spend on mailers. They're going to spend on yard signs. They're going to spend on digital media, on uh, you know Facebook ads, things like that. And I'm not saying that the party pays for all those things, but the donation that's made to the party once you've been selected as an endorsed candidate uh, goes to help out, help educate the voters of Cook County about who these candidates are and why their local Democratic Party has gotten behind them. So I think. Um, a lot of negativity is brought to that aspect of it because it's cast in a negative light, in a, a pay-to-play politics type of way. Unfortunately, we're in the city we're in, and and sometimes that's where people's minds go. Um, but it's really kind of what I like to think: um, wholesale buying in terms of acquiring the things that every candidate needs to run an effective campaign. And so, even if a candidate's running that's not endorsed by the party, they are spending money. They are. are are spending money with their local committee men to have those committee men help um, get out their messaging to to voters. Um, they're spending on signs. They're spending on all the other things that we are.
2: So if I'm hearing you correctly, the process is meeting to see if you can even get slated, and then once you're chosen, then it's the then it's the forty thousand dollar that that's put in, and you're like bulk buying resources that help your name get out there to share with voters that you are being slated on the Democratic ticket. Yes. Am I understanding that correctly? Yes, yes. Okay. So
1: you first seek the the support and endorsement um and then and then once you are are slated as an endorsed candidate, there is an ask of a donation. And then that goes towards the collective get out the vote effort, which is important for our, our members here in Cook County.
2: So I'd imagine most people running for office, I mean it's a hustle to get people to donate to your campaign so, if you get to, if, uh, I would assume most people can crack that 50 grand mark at, at the very least, I would assume. Um, what happens if you're chosen by the Cook County Democratic Party and can't pay the 40 grand?
1: Yeah, I think that's a good question. In judicial seats, um, when the party slates candidates, it's um, in this particular cycle, there were 13 vacancies. So they slated one person for each vacancy. And then they also slated alternate candidates, um, which because, and really the purpose behind that is, at times, there are late breaking vacancies that happen after slating. But early enough in advance, that's petitions can be circulated for folks to be put on the ballot. Mm-hmm. And so if that happens, then they have somebody kind of ready. Um, if someone is does not want to make the donation, is not able to make the donation, um, uh, then they can, if they so desire, choose to go with an alternate candidate. Um, you know, I really can't speak to the mechanics of how that works out. I haven't seen it in play. And in, in our particular, um, all 13 individuals who came before, um, I believe everyone, all the 40 who came before the party um, understood that to be, um, you know, the ask that would be made. And, um, and those who were slated um, were able to, to fulfill that.
2: Okay. Right. So this question is for all three of you. What will each of you bring to the role of judge that previous judges or those also in the same race for the same judge role as you all are in, what will you bring to this role that others will not or haven't? Whoever wants to take that one first. Teresa?
3: You want to know about my particular race, what, what I have that my opponent doesn't?
2: Mm-hmm.
3: Well, and, I
2: have- and, and, and couple that with uh, for judges that have held that role previously. In your experiences, what will you bring that they haven't?
3: So I can tell you that, as I mentioned before, I like to, I I learn from the good and the bad judges I've appeared in front of. I was in court on a nearly daily basis in my career. And so I've seen a lot of judges that yell, a lot of judges that embarrass uh, attorneys. You know, everything is the state's attorney's fault or the defense attorney's not prepared and they're yelling. And I don't like yelling at people. I think it's embarrassing. I think it's unprofessional. I think sometimes people need to be held accountable, but I, I that's not how I practice. So what I bring, I bring an understanding. I bring a compassion from the things that I've seen and experienced. And I think I bring my personality. I'm a very laid back, very fair person, and I'm willing to listen to both sides. Every judge candidate is going to tell you that they're fair. But when you see people in your courtroom, and my experience has been they've come up to me and said, you know, I had a police officer the other day, Judge, are you going to be in this courtroom tomorrow, same place, same time? In, in traffic court, you change rooms every day. I said, no. I said, officer, is there a problem? And he says, no, I just like how you run your courtroom. He says, it's efficient. He goes, everyone leaves here with a smile. You explain everything. He goes, not every judge does it like that. And it's those compliments. Another gentleman told me, you know, judge, it, he says, you're fair, you're professional, and it gives me great pride to see somebody like you up there. That's that, This is a person, a defendant in front of me that told me that. And those are some of the things that I bring, my just that personality, the way I am, the way I was raised. I was, you know, a humble person. I thought we were middle class until I learned the term working class. Mm. So I'm not somebody that thinks because I'm a judge. I mean, literally, you do sit higher, but I don't see myself as a higher position. Uh, I am am just like everyone that appears before me. You know, I'm listening and I'm fair. What I have that my opponent doesn't have, I have more experience as a lawyer. I have judicial experience. I have the endorsement of the Chicago Tribune, the Chicago... uh, the chicago federation of labor personal pack i have the endorsement of the cook county democratic party i have uh tons of community service that i've done i've always been active in my community and never forgetting where i've come from ever i've always helped you know mentor law students and kids and you know marching in dc for puerto rico and the march for puerto rico like i don't forget where i come from and that's who i am you need judges who understand who haven't forgotten their past, so that they can help relate to the people that are in the courtroom today.
2: Yeah, I think being in a courtroom in general is very intimidating. Uh, And sometimes you need someone that can bring the patience to really explain what that person's going through, understand the severity, or at least how to navigate our judicial system. Sometimes it feels like our system is designed almost to intentionally be hard to navigate. So to have a judge that is patient, understanding, and tries to offer a little bit of guidance along the way it uh, can really make a difference, it's even true. if you're leaving with a fine.
3: It's true. Well, and yeah. it's happened before. Yeah. And you know what? In yeah. my courtroom, in traffic, for example, mm-hmm. if I tell people you can plead guilty and you can pay this amount, but if you go and get the insurance and you come back, it's four hundred dollars less. I'll give you that continuance. I tell them outright if they, um, if they seem hesitant because of the fines, I say you can do community service. I'll give you as long as you need to do community service. I'll, I'll let you pick where you do the community service mm-hmm. as, as long as it's a non-profit. So you gotta work with people. But I tell them, go somewhere near your house, that way it's easy to get to. Go somewhere you like. If you like animals, go walk the dogs at the shelter. Go do something that you enjoy. And a lot of people actually come back and they keep volunteering at those places. One guy I had, he came back. He got uh, into a union apprentice program, Mm -hmm. and now he's a union carpenter, all because of this community service from a traffic ticket that he got that he probably thought was the worst thing that could happen, and he ends up with a great paying job.
2: Wow. Mm -hmm. Thank you for sharing that. Araceli, what about you? What are you gonna bring to this role that the other opponents in your race will not? And in your experience, what you've seen from other judges, what do you feel you're gonna bring to this role that you have not seen?
1: Sure. Um, I think what sets me apart from my opponents is that I am the most well-rounded candidate in my race. I have litigation experience from my over eight years as an assistant state's attorney, having tried misdemeanor and felony cases, jury cases, and hundreds of bench cases. Um, So I have sound litigation skills um, that were foundational in my legal practice, but I've done more. And uh, after I left the state's attorney's office, I worked for the Chicago Transit Authority, and I was the chief safety and security officer, so I ensured the safety and security of 1.5 million transit riders a day. Uh, So a lot of regulatory compliance work, Mm -hmm. a lot of compliance with federal uh, safety and security regulations, as well as state safety and security regulations. Um, After the CTA, I worked at the Illinois Department of Financial and Professional Regulations, where I was a chief of general prosecutions and I ensured or I oversaw license enforcement. So I um, oversaw a number of different licensed professions, such as cosmetology. Um, Uh, collection agencies, roofers, funeral directors, and embalmers, and I ensured that those license holders complied with the state's rules and regulations, Um, and I also ensured that the, you know, public everyday consumers like you and I um, were able to go to these different businesses, um, some of which service people at their most vulnerable times, if you think of funeral directors and embalmers when they are servicing families, are at their most vulnerable times and ensuring that they were doing so in accordance with the rules and regulations of the state. Um, I am now in-house counsel at Acero Schools, which is a charter school. Here in Chicago, we um, have 15 schools. We serve as 7,100 students, 90% of which are Latino. And uh, our teachers, we have over 500 teaching professionals are members of the Chicago Teachers Union. And so in that capacity, I oversee education law, labor compliance, corporate governance, uh, FOIA, Open Meetings Act, so a whole variety. So what I bring that my opponents don't is diversity of practice. And that's important because judges, it, Judges may come to the bench having practiced solely in criminal law their entire careers, which is perfectly fine, and find themselves in a civil courtroom or the other way around. Um, they could be a civil practitioner, but find themselves in an area of law, maybe um, domestic relations, that they had never practiced in. And so the ability to step in and to absorb and learn and learn quickly and be a quick study is important. And so someone who's demonstrated that in their career makes for a very versatile and easily adaptable judge. And so that's what distinguishes me from my opponents. Mm-hmm. And those are also the things that I think that a judge needs to bring to the bench and that I would bring to the bench. The ability to, to walk into an assignment, to walk into a courtroom, and obviously you need to be prepared. Uh, you can't just show up and expect that you're gonna do, but be prepared um, and be engaged, right? And be an listener Uh, so some personal attributes about me that I would bring that would make me an effective judge that I've seen in good judges because just as judge Molina mentioned and I'm sure that Laura has seen as well the good judges and the bad judges and good judges take their time good judges listen to folks good judges take a moment if they need it to either research an unknown area or to reflect on what they've just sometimes it's a lot of information coming at you Um, good judges show compassion And um, and so these are the things that I've seen and that I've taken note of in my 20 years of practice and that I want to model and that I know that I'll bring with me to the bench. So um, I think it's my uh, what I like to call executive presence in in some of the leadership roles that I've had in my different areas of practice, my ability to uh, to take on and learn things quickly in different areas and just the qualities that make me who I am. I mean, I've been told that I can exhibit grace under pressure and that's the number one quality a judge needs. You are hearing Sometimes very volatile situations. Um, sometimes very, vi- you know, uh, evidence being presented on very violent cases. Um, very emotional things. Witnesses would become very emotional. There's a lot that goes on into a courtroom. Um, parties get heated. Attorneys get heated. And the expectation is that you, as a judge, can um, model the behavior that you want to uh, you want to see in everyone that's in your courtroom. And that takes a lot of self restraint and discipline and poise to do.
2: Thank you. Laura, what about you?
4: So in my race, um, what separates me from my opponents um, is really all about integrity, hard work, and dedication that my opponents have never shown. I can tell you that I'm the most qualified. All the bar associations have rated me highly recommended, qualified, or recommended, um, which means a lot. I'm the only one that actually was merit selected for the associate list from my opponents, meaning that even judges uh, decided that I was that qualified that I could be part of their list of potential candidates for an associate judge. Also, I can tell you that I've been the only one working nonstop in this race. I have Other than my trial experience, which is significant, I've tried over 60 felony jury trials. Most of those juries have been homicides. Actually, I just finished one of my last sentencings on a homicide. Those are the type of cases which... I have been trying for the last five or six years in my career. Courtroom experience is significant. It means that you can handle the evidence, apply the facts to the law, make arguments, understand what it takes to really um, select a jury what issues you can argue, what evidence you can put forward, and assess the credibility of witnesses. All those factors together make a good judge. They make a qualified judge. And that's really what sets me apart from my opponents. The other qualities that I do have that they don't have is that I have integrity. I really have been in leadership positions in the office where I have been trusted to be a deputy supervisor in one of the Highest volume um, and most complex unit, which is the felony review unit, where I was one of four individuals that could charge a homicide case. I was only one out of four people that could that could charge a homicide in all of Cook County and in Chicago. That that is significant. That's a lot of responsibility and pressure, and you have to be able to make the right decisions. Be able to look at people and be able to make the right decision, no matter what's at stake. And I think that that really separates me from my opponents. Integrity, compassion, and mercy are also qualities that a judge should have. Not just showing compassion, but also having mercy and being able to apply that mercy to cases that you have being able to apply your discretion and being able to see that sometimes people make mistakes from where i stand even being a prosecutor for as long as i have been i understand um that people sometimes have made a mistake in their life and change and can have a better future and that's what you need you need the understanding and the real focus of being able to see past an individual and seeing that there is potential. And I think that that's sometimes lacking from the judiciary. And that is something that I bring to the table that is unlike any other of my competitors. I believe that other than being qualified and experience. I have also sought the endorsements and received endorsements from various organizations, one of them being the Chicago Federation of Labor, uh, Personal PAC. Um, I also have other endorsements from different police associations and different other bar associations, but I'm really proud of being able to be a Latina, first generation um, here with these amazing candidates and being able to not only get endorsed by the Democratic Party, which I had never navigated before, but getting their endorsement is something that my competitors have never had. And I think that that is what people should be looking for. People should be looking to elect judges that work hard, that have a history of giving back to the community, which I also outshine them in that regard, in that I have been giving back to my community for the whole time that I've been in a legal field. I do a lot of initiatives with domestic violence and with immigration. I mean, those are passions of mine outside of my criminal arena. And I try to give back with Mujeres Latinas en Acción and other organizations to try to be able to help others realize that there's other options out there. And I also mentor and and teach. And I, I try to make sure that Kids see that there's other careers available to them and there are really opportunities out there, just like I saw opportunities for myself when I was that young as a high schooler or college student or a first year law school student. So I'm hoping that all those qualities um, that I'm telling you right now, that the people and the listeners that you have see that that's the reason why they should vote for me.
2: Well there is a wealth of experience, a wealth of knowledge in this space. I can tell based off of your your answers, your responses to these questions. Let's blend the two. Let's blend your experiences running with the knowledge you've gained from running. For our listeners, if there's anybody listening that aspires to one day run for elected office, this question's for each of you. So putting you on the hot seat. Um, what advice would you give to someone listening that wants to run for elected o- elected office? What should they be prepared for?
4: Um, I would say to do it. Okay, you have to go for your dream. You have to fight for that dream and you really, really, no matter how big that dream is, you could do it. I feel that had I not been empowered, um, advised and sought out, to, to actually make this run countywide, I don't know that I would have done it. And I would have put all of my eggs in one basket, which was for the associate list, and I wouldn't have achieved my dream. And I think that that would have been a mistake because not only um, was I let down by not being able to achieve that dream in that, um, in, in that time frame with the associate list, but this gave me a different opportunity. This gave me a Latina that, again, Anybody can do this, but minorities have to be able to see that there is a way to get there and that the Democratic Party sees the potential in having diversity on a slate. And so you could do it. You can meet with 80 committeemen. You can go and interview. You could put your best foot forward and make sure that they understand the value of what you're bringing to the table. Not only are you bringing your, your personality and your qualities and your experience, but you're also bringing you. Your authenticity, right? Who you are as a moral character, your your moral compass, and and being able to really understand that they want candidates that are different that will bring something different to the table. And I think for anybody that is interested in running for judge, I think they should do it. Is it hard? Yes, it is. Um, are there going to be some tough times? Yes, it is. Um, as we all, you know, my my uh, companions here, this is the first time that we're ever ever you know doing this journey and we're doing it all together but yes is it is it a financial burden? Yes, it is and that's the honest truth it is it is um, a financial burden but you could do it you know find people to help you I, I feel that as much as it's been hard on my family I have three sons I'm married um, and I'm blessed that they've been very supportive but I think your network your, your family base is so important to be able to propel you to achieve that dream. And for me, it is my family that I'm trying to do this for. I'm trying to set an example for them that I can achieve my dream. And if I can achieve my dream, um, they can too. So I would encourage anybody to go forward. And if they need any help, look us up, whether we win, or whether or not, we have multiple um, stories to share and advice to give. So I am very open and generous, and I, I encourage people to look me up and, and want to be able to, to bond and, and go over what may, may be ahead for them.
2: Thank you, Laura. Yep.
1: Araceli, what about you? We've joked many times that we're going to write a book. <laughs> and, and, and as we've gone through this process and different things have happened, highs and lows because we've experienced them all, we will say that's chapter XYZ and we'll give it a name that is reflective of whatever it is that we've just endured. So what I would say, and I'm gonna kinda say this in the context of I'm thinking of like a Latina or a Latino wanting to run um, for a judicial seat, buckle in, right, that's the first thing. And, and treat it almost as if you're conditioning for a marathon. Not that I've ever done that. <laughs> Most that I've done is a, a, an 8K shamrock shuffle. Um, that counts, but that counts. That, counts. Yeah, that yeah, was my yeah. marathon, definitely. Um, but, you know, it's, it's a long ride, um, and uh, you really have to have patience and endurance and, and I think that as, if I'm thinking this in the context of Latinos, leverage the thing that we have that we value the most, and that's our family love and support. Mm-hmm. That's ingrained in our culture. That's ingrained in our community. And... Just because, you know, my mother only has a sixth grade education in Spanish in Puerto Rico. But she has so much to offer in this process. She is, you know, helping me with my 14-year-old and my 12-year-old, making sure they have hot dinners every day, you know, making sure that they're doing their homework while I'm out on the campaign trail, while my husband is working, who travels for work at times. You know, my dad who's picking them up from school. My dad who's out there working polls right now um, in early election, as that early um, voting that's happening right now, you know, eight hours a day in the cold handing out my palm cards because he wants this just as bad as I do. Cousins, friends, family. Um, so, you know, we we have them at our parties. We have them at our holidays. We can get them out during election time. Um, so leveraging that. I think the part about, you know, in running for judge and seeking the party's endorsement, I mean, I want to speak to that a little bit. I think Laura touched on it. It's a long and intimidating process. We do have to, there are 80 committee men in um, Cook County, 50 from the 50 wards in the city and then 30 from various townships in the suburban areas.
2: And could you explain, we've said committeemen a few times, but just for people who are listening, sure. what is the role of a committeeman?
1: In each ward, or Chicago ward or suburban township, there is a committeeman that's elected by that particular ward or township. It's a non-paying position, and their role is primarily to get out the vote, um, to, to uh, raise awareness about political candidates in that particular ward or township, and then to get their residents and constituents excited about them um, if it's a Democrat, Democratic committee men than they are doing that for Democratic candidates, and so the one of the bigger roles that these committee men have is that they come together um, in advance of election time to slate Democratic um, candidates for certain roles, and it's for everything from for all the the uh, the county roles. So from clerk of the courts, your Supreme Court justice, appellate courts, circuit courts, Board of Review, Water Reclamation District. And so all of those various roles comprise the entire slate. And so the committee men come together and uh, maybe there's a little bit of horse trading and talking about who it is that they want to slate for each of those positions. And so to go through the slating process involves meeting with as many of those 80 individuals that you can and sharing with them who you are as a person, what your qualifications are and why it is that you're seeking that, the role that you're seeking. And so then in, in doing that, you know, they have their pick of for slating for judicial circuit court candidates, I believe about 40 or 45 individuals came to what was called pre-slating and then slating, where um, they formally asked for the party's endorsement. Of that, only 13 were selected. And that's the diverse slate that we're a part of, or three of those 13. It, it took all summer, Um, basically from June until August to Mm -hmm. speed date 80 (laughs) committee men and women (laughs) because that's what it felt like at times sometimes and and they do it in different ways some will meet with you for five minutes some will meet with you for two hours some bring residents and leaders within their communities Mm -hmm. and have forums that they then expect you to present to and they look to their constituents to collectively make a decision about who it is that they as the ex-war or township should endorse. So you're really putting yourself out there. But what I would tell someone thinking about doing that and hearing that is just do it, just do it. Because if you're doing it, it's because you believe that you can. And if you believe that you can, it's because you are qualified, you are capable, and you just need to, to, to get that message out to everyone else and show them why they should believe in you. I mean, sometimes we doubt ourselves and we doubt that others are gonna see us the way we want to be seen. And if you shake that doubt and you go out there and you put your best foot forward, as we heard said, then, then folks are gonna believe in you and they're gonna wanna get behind you and support you. The other thing I would say is have a conversation with your family, you know, let them know you're gonna turn their lives upside down for the next couple months. But there's a light at the end of the tunnel and it's just for a finite period of time and there's an end. Um, and then things will hopefully go back to normal and maybe even in a better state if you win. So,
2: Thank you, mm-hmm. Teresa?
3: I have some advice for this question. Think long and hard about it. Think long and hard about it. Um, And then get some really thick skin because you, I think I'm a great person. I think uh, the people in this room think I'm a great person. But it's a big world, and maybe not everybody loves you the way you think they should love you. And so sometimes people will criticize you or say things and that will make its way back to you. And so you can't be thin-skinned with this process, you can't be overly sensitive. You're not gonna be liked by every single person. Some people uh, in this world are what we call haters. Some people don't wanna see you succeed and they're supposed to be your friends, you know? And so you have to be prepared to persevere no matter what, to keep going and to say, well, then if that person's, you know, not going to support me, that's fine because these 15 are and keep going. So you have to have confidence in yourself, in your abilities, in your friends and family and in spreading the word about your campaign. Um, so I would say definitely self-confidence is a must. Thick skin is a must and money. It, it's hard to say money is the, the most difficult thing in this race, it's a challenge. You know, we, we have fundraisers and people make donations. As judicial candidates, we are not allowed to solicit uh, any funds from anyone, which is different than other political uh, candidates. You know, uh, alderman or uh, you know state rep, they can call you and say, hey, I need some money for my campaign. I'm really great, you love me, why don't you give me some money? We can't do any of that. So the only way we can do our fundraising is through our committees who then have to you know, ask. It's kind of one person removed. So it loses uh, sometimes a little bit of effectiveness. You don't have the ability to get that. So... You have part,
2: to personal touch exactly. Yeah. I
3: mean, hopefully the people on your campaign sure. on your committee team will, you know, be able to say, "I'm Thenessa's sister," mm-hmm. you know, "I'm her best friend," whatever it is. But um, it's a little bit different when you're running for judge, and it's expensive. It it takes money. These signs are expensive, um, and and I, I think that if you can handle that and and that doesn't stress you out, because we're you know it stresses me out constantly. Mm-hmm. Um, if you can handle that, then the other thing I would say is to also be prepared to be a little bit surprised and maybe disappointed in others. Sometimes people that you think should support you, that you think will support you, won't, and you have to be able to say, that's okay, I'm still gonna go on, I'm still gonna you know, do this, and, or, or people won't, help you to the level that you think that they should or you would expect them to. And I think despite that, you're going to find other people that you didn't know would help you that much are out there every day, volunteering for you every day, and supporting you 100%. So you'll be amazed to know who really will be there in your time of need. It won't always be the people you expect, but as long as you are totally dedicated to it and believe in it, no matter what the result is, you won't have... If if you don't make it, it won't be for not trying, mm-hmm. and that's that's the best part because that otherwise you're just existing and not living.
2: Yeah. On right. your point about money, I see you have a union printed shirt. <laughs> yeah. We all
1: do. You yeah. Y'all
2: have y'all have union printed shirts. You know that you're paying fair wages for fair <laughs> yes, work, yes, so it's reflective yes. of the ethics and values that Absolutely. you all hold. But that also comes at a cost, right? So. Does. Uh, but all for a for good reason. I've said that I have uh, to
1: sell a kid or a kidney. Yeah. <laughs> <okay for> <laughs> Just start selling off
2: organs. Um, so how can people keep up with you? What are your social medias? What are your uh, websites? Um, Teresa, let's start with you. Websites, social media handles, what do you got?
3: I am on Facebook at elect Judge Teresa Molina. Teresa is the Puerto Rican way, no H T E R E S A. And my Facebook, uh, excuse me, my website is www.judgeteresamolina.com.
1: I can be found on Facebook at my handle is at Dela Cruz for Judge, and that's the number four. So at Dela Cruz for Judge. Um, on Instagram, it's Dela Cruz for Judge, again, the number four, Dela Cruz for Judge. And then my website is cruz 4 judgecom Again, the number four. Um, I like to help folks remember my name by saying that I hope that they choose Dela Cruz and that they punch 217 on March 17. Hi. So for people to remember me, um,
4: my website is Ayala-Gonzalez, G-O-N-Z-A-L-E-Z, the number four judge.com so that again is Ayala hyphen gonzalez for judge.com that's my website my instagram is Ayala gonzalez for judge and my facebook is at Ayala gonzalez for judge 2020 now my punch number is punch number 189 so I'm hoping that you vote for Laura Ayala gonzalez and punch 189 thank you
2: Laura Araceli got to put their punch number in there. Teresa, what's yours?
3: Well, I told you before, I have more experience, more of everything. So you get more with Punch 204.
2: Y'all, <laughs> man, y'all have this campaign thing <laughs> locked down. Gee in whiz. It's like nine months of it. My like gosh. Baby that we're growing. My gosh. Well, uh, Araceli Reyes de la Cruz, Teresa Molina, and Laura Ayala Gonzalez, thank you for making time to be on the Paseo Podcast.
3: This was fun. Thank you, thank thank you for you. having us. Right. Thank you. Thank
2: you. Special thanks to state senator and candidate for clerk of the Cook County Circuit Court, Iris Martinez, and Cook County Circuit Court judge candidates, Judge Teresa Molina, Laura Ayala Gonzalez, and Araceli Reyes de la Cruz for joining the show. Remember, Election Day in Illinois is this Tuesday, March 17th. To find your nearest polling place for early voting or to vote on the day of the election, visit ChicagoElections.gov. You can also use ChicagoElections.gov to get information on how to register to vote before and on the day of the election. Before you vote, see what Puerto Rico policy the presidential candidates have by visiting PRPolicy.org. Again, that's PRPolicy.org. To begin each month, we're going to start a new segment of the podcast where I read listener comments. We don't have a name for this segment yet, and that's on purpose. I want to put the power in your hands. For the rest of March, send in your name suggestions for this segment of the show. You can let us know your name ideas by messaging us or commenting on our Facebook and Twitter pages, at Baseo Podcast. You can also email us at baseopodcast at gmail.com. At the beginning of April, we'll unveil the new name of this segment. Next week's episode of the Paseo Podcast, I think you'll really enjoy the guest I have lined up. Here's a hint. They are a comic book writer from New York City. They have worked on projects for powerhouses like DC, Marvel, and Image Comics. So, stay tuned for that announcement in the coming days. Without our awesome guests, this podcast would not be possible. And without you, our listeners this would not be possible, so we really appreciate you listening. If you want to reach out to the show, connect with us by visiting our website, baseomedia.org, emailing us at baseopodcast at and following us at BaseoPodcast Podcast on Facebook and Twitter. If you have a tip, want to pitch a story, or send us a compliment, we'd love to hear from you. Thanks for downloading this episode, and see you next week. Cuídate!